Rian, there are three things in life that are always guaranteed. Death, taxes, and constant La Liga controversy that will never go away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our La Liga preview, our season preview for the 2020-2021 season. A weird footballing world. Um, full of so many different things going on in Europe, not just La Liga in Premier League as well, and just a ton of storylines. And as as Rian used used to not used to likes to say, narratives, if you will. So that's the topic of today's podcast. Um, we're going to be taking you through, you know, obviously the Barcelona messy stuff and pretty much everything else that's been going on because there's been a lot that has been going on. So Rian, before we get started, I know it was a uh, questionable game for Chelsea yesterday. I mean, how, how are you doing overall? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I think, like I said, in our uh, Premier League preview and in our questions and answers episode, you know, my expectations trying to keep them very tempered. Yeah. The first game back, I Havertz had been with the team for probably like less than a week. So did not even a full week of training. And then you had no Pulisic, no uh, Hakim Ziyech. Kovacic could not play as well because of a red card, um, a red card suspension from the end of last season. And Thiago Silva is still at quarantining. So this, the first game back looked like a team that was pretty disjointed and, and a team with new players, uh, with two new players up top who haven't played in the league yet, although I thought Werner looked really sharp. I thought Werner looked good. But, um, but yeah, it's a team that's going to take time. I, I'm keeping, really keeping the expectations tempered for the first, I think, three weeks. I think that's pretty fair. The first three weeks, it's going to take some time for these guys to get used to playing with each other. And it's a lot of new faces, and, and chemistry has to build. So... No reason for panic. No reason to be super excited from that performance, but moment of quality from Reese James that goal unreal, so, and that's pretty much was what that's what uh, separated the two the two sides. Because I thought Brian played very well, so I think Chelsea got yeah. a little bit lucky with the scoreline, but yeah, probably. But I think your expectation throughout the season has been if we can score goals in the opposition, then we win the game. So. I mean, that's the definition of how this game works. So that's what we're going to operate on. But anyway, so Kappa is still there. Yeah, that's so. So obviously Spain's goalkeeping situation is great. Yeah, I don't imagine. Yeah, I don't imagine he'll be the starting keeper for Chelsea in in three weeks. So very, very interesting take. And I I don't necessarily disagree, but Lampard came out yesterday and supported him. But um, we'll as, as always, things in football change very quickly. So mm. we'll see if that continues. But Rian, making the move over to Spain, um, I mean, in La Liga and, and in Spanish news, it's been unbelievably, even though there have been really not that many big transfers uh, coming out of Spain. So or even around Spain, I should say. So first question, where, where are we starting in Spain? Where do you want to start? Well, I think that is probably the easiest answer to any questions that I think we've asked each other on this on this pod. Elias, <laughs> please make the case to me that Barcelona hasn't had the worst summer 
in Spain of any of the teams. Perhaps the worst summer for any team in Europe. And I don't <laughs> even think the perhaps would be a light sell. I think we could I think I could convince most people they've had the worst summer. But please make the case. Why has Barcelona not had the worst summer? Humor me. I, I always like to talk in threes, um, and so I'll, I'll go in threes again. Uh, first uh, is Lionel. Um, second is Andres. Uh, third is Messi. So those three things combined for not the worst summer ever. No, but in all seriousness, Barcelona had a pretty brutal summer. Um, it, it did not just start with the Bayern Munich game. Um, it, it actually started well before that. I mean, even in the league after the restart, they looked nowhere near a good team. Um, I, I've come on the podcast countless times spelling out how there is no clear structure for this team. There's no project. There's no clear definition of where players should be playing their specific roles. I think, and I think Griezmann, for example, is a perfect, you know, point for that exact, that I guess argument, if you will. So, why do I still have the audacity to sit here and say that Barcelona have not had the worst summer ever? Well, other than bias, obviously. <laughs> bias aside, of course, of course. Here's why I think that maybe Barcelona have not had the worst summer, I guess, comparatively or even compared to what most people think. Lionel Messi obviously staying is a massive boost to the squad. I think there are still a lot of questions, of course, around where his head is at. You know, everyone's going to be reading into his body language this entire season. I, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that alone. Everyone's going to be reading into his performances every little minute. But him staying is obviously a positive for the squad, just in terms of footballing, right? Structurally, organizationally, and institutionally, the club's in shambles. I, I'm not going to argue that because it, you, ca- I can't in good faith and good conscience actually argue that this club is in a good structural state. It's not. It's terrible. It's in, like over 100 million euros in debt. Okay. So let's talk about the sporting project. Barcelona didn't really buy any new players since the 8-2 disaster, right? So you have to kind of look at what the squad is like now if they haven't actually bought any players. So a couple of players that I'm excited about, Trincao, Pedri, and Ricky Pooch. Those are three players, and, and Ansu Fati, excuse me. Those are three players that aren't exactly signings, but for me, they're acting like new signings. I think everyone in the footballing world has kind of seen the talent that Ansu Fati has. Obviously, he's only 17 years old. Like, think about that. He has three years to go until he's 20, right? That's how good this kid is. And he's already scored for Spain. He scored in his you know league debut. He's, he's pretty much had all the historical records broken. Um, came on, came on, and changed the game for Spain in their in their last Nation League's games. Changed yep. completely different type of player than we've seen on the Spain national team. Man, I don't know. Probably s- since the Del Bosque kind of revolution, the Tiki Taka uh, revolution in the national team, he offers something completely different with his dribbling and just how direct he is. And the and the same goes for Barcelona, right? It's it's a completely different style of play. I mean, Ansu Fati is basically doing what Barcelona wanted Usman Dembele to do like two years ago. That's what he's doing right now. Um, so there are a couple of players 
right in that group that aren't really signings, but have been rejuvenated into the squad and, and kind of energized to provide a little bit of energy, really. Like that's the word. It's, it's a thing that the squad lacked. Right. And so I look at those four youngsters as not just the future, but the building blocks of this team going forward this season. Right. I, I watched part of the friendly that Barcelona had the other day. Of course, I mean, it was against a third division team, but the the pieces are there for a good team to be formed. It, on paper, this team still has very, very high quality players. Maybe the back line, I think, is our biggest weakness. Right. I think they suffered a lot during the eight. I mean, obviously, they suffered a lot during the eight, too. Um, that goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> But I will take solace in the fact that this attacking front three of, well, it's not even the front three. Let's name your attacking players in Barcelona right now. Antoine Griezmann, world-class. Lionel Messi, obviously world-class. Luis Suarez, eh, not really world-class anymore, right, but a good striker. Then you have Dembele, Ansu Fati, and one of our new youngsters in Trincao. Right. Those that's still a good squad and that's good depth. Like arguably that's good depth. And that's not something I think we could say the last two to three years. And that's something that I'm genuinely looking forward to this upcoming season to see all six of those players really get along. I mean, that's Probably, that's the sporting uh, aspect. Uh, is, it, is it too much? I feel like is it too much to ask for Trincao and Puig? to come in in their first full season and be genuinely significant contributors to this team. I I think I feel like it's a bit too much to ask for them in their first full season. And, and I guess I suppose to rely on them with depth, it could work, but you need consistent performances from these players who aren't even 20 yet. So. So it's it's a fair question, right? They are literally teenagers. Most of them. Ricky Pooj is the only one that's above 20, I believe. Um, is it too much to ask of them? Yes, probably. I, I'd actually say yes. I think it's too much to ask them. But that doesn't that isn't to say that they're not capable of reaching that level of performance this season. That that's what that's the quality that they think they possess. And so that's what I'm looking for this season, just bursts of consistency from them. It, it doesn't even necessarily have to be you're starting every other game or even every game, right? I'm looking for consistency. I'm looking for growth. That's what I'd like to see out of the youngsters. And I have high hopes for them. I I genuinely do, which is why I don't think this has been the worst summer, right? There's still good things to come out of this team. Granted, there's still still a lot of question marks, right? Ronald Koeman as our coach, still a massive question mark. I don't know how that's going to... I just don't know how that. No one knows how that's going to work with the squad. You can't tell me. If 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 the Netherlands, if the Netherlands make it to like the semifinal or or win the Euros next summer, then I think you guys are going to be great. <laughs> Memphis Depay, Wijnaldum, <laughs> throw in Martin Darun from At- Atlanta. I mean, who else do we need? Come on, to see that's we're going full Cruyff, right? That's the point. <laughs> The Cruyff era, we're just, we're, we're just putting all the Dutch national team <laughs> players plus plus some of the uh, La Masia uh, Academy players, and we're balling. Yeah, basically, you know, football games are won on paper. That's, I think, what Barcelona's transfer policy the last five years has been anyway. But what's funny to me is that – I'll get to your point about Koeman in a second. What's funny to me about this Barcelona board – I thought about this today. 
They inherited prime Messi, prime Suarez, prime Neymar. They are now fighting for money to buy Memphis to pie. That, that should, in a nutshell, explain to you what has happened to our team in the last five years. So getting back to the structural issue. It's prime Memphis to pie to you, by the way. <laughs> of course. Yes, just ask Manchester United about it. Anyway, so TLDR, Barcelona as a sporting team, I don't think are in massive, massive trouble. They're not going to get like relegated or something. Do I think that they are not a great team right now? Probably. But I think the ceiling is still very high for them this season. Would I pick them to win La Liga? I'll wait until the end of the podcast to answer that question. But it's not all doom and gloom for Barcelona fans. I, trust me, I've, I basically need to seek therapy at this point after this summer for Barcelona fans. So that's where I'm at. But I'm trying to find the silver lining. And, I, and in comparison to Real Madrid, I will say I think we had the better summer from a transfer slash sporting perspective. And I can't wait to see Rian's perspective or Rian's what Rian's going to say right now. <laughs> I just oh, I can't wait. <laughs> bless your heart, Elias. Bless your <laughs> bless your heart. From you saying that, don't worry, we're not going to get relegated. To <laughs> to I think that we didn't have a worse summer than Madrid. Um, I mean, Madrid have done almost nothing this summer except bring back probably their best midfielder from last year who was not playing on their team in Martin <laughs> Odegaard. So I, I you're going to need to convince me. I know Madrid's had a very quiet summer. We we've seen as we've seen in the transfer market, but I think in this time, uh, this COVID pretty much destroying last season and all the continuity and what, a summer off season looks like these teams have had just about, I mean, depending on you know how far you got in Europe, many of the top clubs had, have had a month, less than a month really to prepare for the new season. And I think in these times, the teams who are experiencing the least turnover um, compared to last season will probably fare the best in the first in the first couple of months at least while every while any team that is bringing in new faces, new coaches, um new players, whatever it may be, those teams I think will struggle the first month or so and and I think I believe the same thing will happen with Chelsea. I think Barcelona mostly the same team, but if these rumors of Depay and and perhaps Wijnaldum coming in, and and those are players who you'd expect are slotting straight into the starting eleven. Not to mention you have Marilyn Pjanic coming in to a team that doesn't even doesn't have the same manager that he was expecting to play under, uh, and turned into an absolute shit show uh, just after his transfer. I believe Madrid's quiet summer in the long run is better for them. But Ellie's convinced me that the that the quiet summer is not is is not gonna somehow help help Madrid compared to Barcelona. Okay, so for a couple of things I want to address. I don't think that Juan Yaldum comes. I think that's largely been ruled out, I will say. Thank God, because you're basically buying it I don't know what you're buying. 
quite frankly, what like a broken De Jong? I don't like. It's not. Okay. Oh no, no, no. no I mean, obviously obviously not. a box to box, a box to box. Obviously where, not. Do we think that he is Barcelona quality? I don't, but I mean, I think you would tell you otherwise, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, the only reason we can see him going, uh, going to Barcelona in any sense is the fact that he just happens to be from the same country as the manager and has worked very well under him, I will say, but I don't want to spend too much time on that. It's just the, the idea that we're going to get Memphis to buy, I don't think is reality until we sell players. Um, We have only sold Rakitic so far out of like the older core squad. So I do believe Arturo Vidal is on his way out. Um, that should be announced tomorrow more than likely. Um, so two players are on their way out. Right. But not for massive transfer bills. Right. No one can pay transfers. And right now it's just not possible. So um, let me go back to your question about Madrid. Madrid are basically doing one thing right now. Actually, two things. One, they're saving money to get Kylian Mbappe next summer. That is 100% what they're doing. That's not even a secret. It's like the worst kept secret of all time. So they're saving enough money. So, And then the second thing, COVID did really hit them hard. I mean, it hit every club hard, but it did hit even the big clubs. And so they're struggling right now to make any signings because they really don't have the capital. They just spent 160 million euros reportedly on Eden Hazard, um, including add-ons and everything last season. That's a lot to, to spend and then have amortized over the course of a pandemic. So don't rule that out. Bringing Martin Odegaard back from Real Sociedad is a great move for Real Madrid, in my opinion. There's only one big question now. Where does he play? I don't have an answer for that. And I don't know if Zidane does either. This is why I say I don't think things are all doom and gloom for Barcelona fans. And for Madrid fans, I don't know what to think. I wouldn't be as up in the air about it because their top goal scorer, Kareem Benzema is now one year older. Um, their second top goal scorer somehow. And Sergio Ramos is also a year older. Those are two very, very important guys to the Real Madrid squad. I'm not taking anything away from them. They are top, top, top quality players. Here's the problem. In about two years, they're going to have a significant situation where they need to replace both of them. In theory, Luka Jovic is supposed to be that replacement for Kareem Benzema. He has not stepped up to the plate. Granted, it was his first season. You have to give him a pass. And he did come off an amazing season at Frankfurt. So let's let that sit and stir for a little bit. But who is Sergio Ramos' replacement, right? Let's say he retires in two to three years. I don't know if I see someone stepping into that mold right now. Rafael Varane plays alongside him, so he's already stepped into the you know, void that was Pepe from like five years ago. So genuine question, who steps in to that second role? Those are two key, key spots. On top of that, Tony Cruz and Luka Modric are now a year older. Luka Modric is 35. We did not see Valverde start more than two games after the restart. A player that has apparently blossomed under Zidane, but I have not seen, and I've said this repeatedly, the quality that everyone else is seeing. So that begs a question, right? What happens in two to three years? What, even from a sporting project perspective, like what's going to happen to this Madrid team? I, I don't know because they haven't invested this summer. Granted, of course, we're in a pandemic, so they can't, but you can't tell me that Madrid haven't had a bad summer. I would I would counter 
think it's pretty easy to counter Benzema and the Ramos points. I mean, you compare, compare Suarez in the same position. We can ask the exact same questions and we can ask the exact same questions about Gerard Piquet and at Barcelona. But, but what you said, you started off. Madrid didn't spend this summer because they have a plan to go and get Kylian Mbappe next, next summer. Granted, this is what Madrid always does. Their plan is very consistent. They're just going to go. Florentino Perez is a very simple man. He sees he sees you play very well in the Champions League or the World Cup, James Rodriguez's case, and he pays whatever it takes. There's a plan there. It's not a necessarily um, 100% effective plan, obviously, but... I don't think we could say the same about Barcelona, that we know what their plan is to replace Piquet, Suarez. I mean, they they haven't replaced Xavi or Iniesta still. It's, uh, I, I think Madrid's quite summer was for a reason, and, and we know what they're going to be going after next summer. We know that Luka Modric will phase out. That's a, I assume that's a big reason why... Martin Odegaard was brought in to not necessarily play the exact same position as Modric and not quite as deep of a, of a center mid, but there's a phasing out of one of those players in, in the pair of Cruz or um, Modric. And, and I think we'll just, we will probably end up seeing Fede Valverde playing a lot more this year as they try to integrate, I think Odegaard and, and they have to start looking Second half of the season, I feel like they'll have to start looking at their options and how those how those younger players play together in the midfield. There, so I, so I see a bit more of a plan from I at least see a plan from Real Madrid <laughs> where I Fair. where you said and I have realized over the last year that Barcelona haven't had a plan for at least five years to be kind. Fair, fair enough. I, I think I guess there is some semblance of a plan for Madrid buy a Galactico every three years and see what happens. Yes, that is that literally is it. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, it's not always foolproof, obviously, but it, it sometimes hits every like five years. Um, so, fair points. I guess my question about Martin Odegaard is just really where he plays. Like Real Madrid play a four three three, occasionally a four two three one. Martin Odegaard is a 10. He's not going to play as an 8. He's not going to play in Modric's position, although he can. It's not his best position. His best position is right behind the forward. Um, So, again, where do you play him? Do you play him as a false 9 with Rodrigo and Vinicius on the wing? I I don't think he's really a goal scorer. Do you not not see that he could – I mean, do you not feel like he could play in behind Benzema with (laughs) – this is obviously – crossing fingers a lot here, a healthy Eden Hazard on the left and, and whether it be uh, Rodrigo nice. on the right or <laughs> <laughs> Rodrigo on the right or, and, and behind him for now is Cruz and Modric. And maybe that becomes Cruz and Fede Valverde at some point. Maybe, but, but I mean, I think, I think there is a spot for him. I mean, um, obviously you have, you have Isco, you have Marco Sensio. He's got competition in that area. And I, I don't, f- I don't think that after next season, all three of those players will be on Madrid, but, um, 
but you know, I, I think there's a spot for him there. He's got to he's got to earn it, though. You're right. Yeah, it's not going to be easy by any means for Martin Odegaard. I mean, he was debating not coming back. I think in reality, he probably didn't. But when your parent club calls you back, you don't really have a choice. So Real Madrid are still a very good team. Excuse me. But I don't know. I have my concerns about them. Objective concerns, let me say. Um, in the same way that I kind of do for Barcelona. So, no, yeah, I think we would agree. Neither of these teams are, are the best team are close to one of the two or the three best teams in Europe. I, I think we can agree on that. So, no, certainly not right now, but another, another team that is definitely, definitely not one of the top five teams in Europe right now is Atletico Madrid. Um, cause apparently all of them have COVID. I, I don't understand how this happened. But over the past month and a half, I think like five Atletico Madrid players and staff at least have contracted COVID, Simeone being one of them. Uh, like, I don't know what's going on there. They already have their own health problems. The, the work rate of, of Atletico Madrid, that, that's just the work rate of a Simeone team. The yeah, team dude, that's, work, how, that's how fast they get to each other. It's amazing. It's incredible, truly. But no... <laughs> In all seriousness, Atletico had a, I don't want to say terrible season last season, because I think that's unfair to kind of oh, have yeah. to come back from, yeah. from the restart. They had a bad season. Let's say that. It was not a good season. They got well, not I would say a mixed bag. It felt like a mixed bag. It wasn't good. I mean, here's the thing. They barely made the Champions League by the end of it. Like, uh, when I say, I mean, finish in the top four last season, like them not finishing in the champions league. Now, I mean, they've cemented themselves as a top caliber team, but not finishing in the champions league spots for them is devastating financially, especially it's devastating. I've said this before. They account for champions league revenue in their finance, in their fiscal budget. So if they don't, they're truly, it's really bad situation. So that was scary that they were even contention for that. And of course they got not, Excuse me. They got knocked out of the Champions League by Leipzig. When in reality, you know, they should have. Been, they really should have been the team to go through. They didn't play poorly. Oh no! No no no, no! 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 They did not go on. Convince me! Convince no, no, no. me! I'm not going to say that Leipzig did not deserve to go through. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. I, I just think Atletico Madrid should have been better. In that game, they agree the quality that they have. No, don't. T- I'm not taking anything away from Leipzig. You, you took that completely the wrong okay, way. Okay, okay, I did. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying Atletico should have been <clears throat> should have been better, but they were not, and they got knocked out of the Copa del Rey by um, Cultural Leonesa. So, it, 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 what, what did they do last season? They they re- they knocked out Liverpool, which is a feat, but. Nothing really happened outside of that. Like, I can't point to anything where I said X, Y, and Z player, you know, really stood out. Other than maybe um, Tomas, um, I I can't think of anything that was positive out of them. To the point where, you know, it's a very valid question that Rihanna actually asked me the other day. Is Simeone the right manager for Atletico Madrid? I, I, I'm starting I mean, to believe that maybe not. It, the Leipzig game, 
coming probably what just around a year or around a year 12 months since they went out and broke their transfer record for Jao Felix player that comes in and the expectation is that this team's going to not saying that they have to fully open up and play like Barcelona right but the fact that this team did not even remotely play a, ex, the slightest bit expansive against Leipzig, a team that is not as talented as them. And we can say they got unlucky at the end of that match. You know, Tyler Adams shot is big deflection that ends up scoring the goal, but they weren't good enough. They weren't, they didn't try to play. He didn't start Jao Felix again, their record signing their record signing from last season, the person that they, that they were looking to take over from Griezmann, they go into that match and he plays so cautiously. And as soon as Jao Felix comes on in the second half, he changes the game completely. He's the only reason they end up scoring a goal. He's literally the only reason they end up scoring a goal in that game. It has been what, seven years, eight years at least, eight, seven, eight years since they won the league, right? And the Griezmann signing happens, and they end up reaching Champions League final again, and they end up reaching multiple semifinals, right? But with Griezmann leaving, with the signing of Alvaro Morata and bringing in Jao Felix and Kieran Trippier, uh, the probably the most well-equipped attacking fullback that I think we've seen um, Atletico Madrid go out and get in the Serie oh, yeah. era. This team, just looking at their expected goals from 2015, they were sitting around 55. In the four years since then, or five years since then, during the last season, that expected goals count is just still around 59. It, it barely moves. And then you look at how many passes they completed within the final, within the last 20 yards of the pitch. In 2015, 260. In 2019, the exact same. The team is not doing anything different. And we can praise the consistency. You know what a Simeone team looks like. You know that they know exactly how to play and whatnot. But we were looking for last season to see something at least remotely expansive from them. And when you look at the amount of passes that they were able to consecutively string together in the opponent's half of the field before, before an interception. So it's basically like passes before defensive action. It's identical in 2018 to 2019. It's a team that, that, has not changed that has not i mean it's it's the way that that, that that simeone and atletico madrid plays is extremely effective like we'll never say that it doesn't win points and we can never say that it can't win you the league because we saw it happen and we can, also can't say that it, that it doesn't get you to a champions league final or and within a miraculous header from Sergio Ramos away from winning a Champions League final even, right? But 
this is kind of the expectations for for a manager as good as we think he is adapt we're not saying you have to completely open up but adapt i mean to not play your your best attacker in your most important game of the season it's it's an, it's absolutely disgraceful to see that happen because of how good Jao Felix is He's too good to leave him out of a big game like that. And it worries me where this team is going to be in the, in the next what, nine to 10 months. And will we see them be any sort of different team? Now this, this could change because Jacques Felix could, could take a step this year and, and be that good that they don't have to really open up very much. But if he's not, and if Alvaro Morata is not basically one of the best strikers in the league <laughs> next summer, which Alex is laughing, and I have a smile on my face here. I think we both know that he won't, we assume he will not be, then I don't know. I, I don't I don't see how much further Diego Simeone can take this team unless they somewhat change their playing style going forward. I don't think I could agree more with that argument. Um, Here's the thing, right? We've seen Diego Simeone take this team very, very far to winning a league, basically almost winning a Champions League twice. Um, So the question still remains, what's gone wrong, right, in the last couple of years that has led to this level of, I guess, stagnation? Ultimately, it's his unwillingness to adapt. Um, Some will say that it's stubborn that he's unwilling to adapt. Some will say... That's sticking true to his values, what, what's worked for him in the past. In all honesty, I don't think anyone is wrong. I think both, both are right. But if you want a manager that will be able to win the tight games in probably some of the most crucial situations, you're right, the, your Champions League semifinals, your, your big top six matches in La Liga, it just goes to show that Simeone has consistently played it safe in the last several years. And that sort of mentality isn't working with the profile players that I believe Atletico has. Jao Felix and him getting benched for that Leipzig game, I think, is a perfect example of that. That wasn't due to injury, by the way. That was that was purely tactical. Um, and I think the, fa- the fact that Diego Costa still plays for this Atletico Madrid team tells you the kind of profile that Simeone wants but does it really started need? that game. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Ellis. Yeah. A profile of player that they don't need anymore, but it, it it's fucking unbelievable that Diego Costa started that game that a 33 year old Diego Costa started their biggest game of the season and their most skilled attacker and record signing was on the bench for 60 minutes. Yep. Yep. I think that sums it up exactly. So I I don't know if Atletico will be able to honestly push it into a higher gear this season. I, if in all honesty, I would pick Villarreal or Sevilla to be able to push for top four over Atletico if I had to. With the quality of that Madrid, Atletico Madrid have, it's hard to not choose them, but they're not in a good spot. I genuinely don't think they're in a good spot and COVID obviously did not help. So 
What do you change? I, I don't know if they're going to change much. I wonder, I truly wonder if this is Diego Simeone's last season um, with Atletico Madrid. I, I genuinely think that by the end of the season, that will be a very serious question. So we'll see what happens. There's always time to change that, but there are also other teams in the Liga that we wanted to touch on. And Rian, the, a couple of teams that we have seen had very interesting summers in almost like the po- most polar opposite respects in Villarreal and Valencia. Rian, if you had to pick between Villarreal and Valencia, let's say you're a player, where would you go? Genuine question. Where would you go to Valencia or to Villarreal? At the moment, I feel it's pretty obvious. It's, it's definitely not the team that is like being absolutely raided and selling players, letting their captain leave for free and giving up their most promising academy player and most promising attacking, I think, attacking player in Ferran Torres for a bargain deal to Manchester City. My choice is not Valencia. It is easily Villarreal. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So Rian hit on a couple points. We'll start with Valencia because that is, of course, the team he chose not to be on. Um, Valencia are basically putting everyone up for sale. And that's not a joke. Basically, anyone on their team is now up for sale. And it's been a combination, with the exception, I think, of like Jose Gaia. I'll I'll throw that out there. They're left back. But it's basically been a combination of very, very bad management, worse than Barcelona management. And that's saying something. Um, And internal squad conflict. That's basically what's led to Valencia getting to this point. They, of course, stumbled a lot last season. They were basically in the mid-table region for a while for kind of getting their shit together towards the end. But Valencia are putting uh, their team up for sale because, quite frankly, I don't think they have money at all. And this isn't transfer money. This is money money. I don't think they have money, like, period. Their finances are terrible. And... Just to show you kind of how terrible or just how much they excuse me, needed cash, Rodrigo, for example, I don't even think you touched on this, but Rodrigo was sold to Leeds for about 40 million euros, I believe. Leeds paid 40 million. It may have even been less. I believe it was 30 million, 30 million 30, euros. There you go, 30 million euros. Last summer and in January, Rodrigo almost went for 60 million euros to either Barcelona, Real Madrid, or somewhere in the Premier League. That's how badly Valencia needed cash. They he was basically, on his way to, and Ellis, sorry, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but he was on his way to Atletico Madrid at one point uh, last August. Yep. Yep. He was basically on his way to get a medical. He had told Valencia players that he was leaving. Like he said goodbye and everything. Valencia basically had to slash his value in half to get any cash this time around. That's how bad it is at Valencia. Danny Parejo left their captain, their legendary captain, Spanish midfielder. Coquelin, who somehow revived his career after leaving Arsenal at Valencia and is now also off to Villarreal. And all of a sudden, you look at this Villarreal team under Unai Emery, a a manager I want to point out, Rian, that you said is best suited for slightly higher than mid-table teams. Now you look at this Villarreal team, and think, 
could this team be the new Valencia of old, right? With the players that they have in Santi Cazorla, right? Albert, uh, excuse me, Moreno, who unfortunately is injured actually for a long period of time. And now adding Coughlin, Danny Parejo to the mix. That's all of a sudden a very compelling team to watch. So Valencia are, I, honestly, you want my honest opinion? I can see them being in a situation like Chelsea were, th- was it four years ago, where they're basically starting off in relegation and trying to claw their way out and eventually clawing their way out. That's how, how bad I think it is at Valencia right now. And I don't see it getting any better. There's no reason to think that it's going to get any better. Yeah, you have not you have not presented a lot of hope for for Valencia and their fans at the moment. And, and I have no bias there, so you know that's all. <laughs> I know it's true. You know it's real, bro. Um, now it's Unai Emery. This he was perfect at Sevilla. Like, like I said last year, perfect at Sevilla for a team where the expectations are not quite as high as we saw at Arsenal. This is, this is probably a much better, I think, sweet spot for him. He's not a bad manager. He's not a bad coach. I mean, his PSG time was also a mess. I mean, dealing with high big egos and stuff. That's where he falls short is what we've seen. Really. This could be a perfect team for him. I I could see him having great success at getting into the Europa league. Um, with Real Real again, and maybe even be able to, in a couple of years, get to a final in the Europa League or get to the Champions League and and make it to like the knockout stages of, of some sort. I think this is a great long term move for Villarreal, and next season they're going to be pushing for top four. Especially if you bring in you bring in Danny Parejo and Coquelin, who were Coquelin, especially one of the best holding mids in La Liga last year. So and and Danny Parejo, experienced midfielder and still was quality last year. So this is a this is a team that should be pushing to top four until the the end of the season. A hundred percent agreed. And if you think about the players that were already at Villarreal, right? I, I mentioned Gerard Moreno, um, but Chukweze, an incredibly talented winger, Paco Alcácer, who is a very good squad player for depth as a striker, and of course, their youngster on loan, Take Kubo. Like, all amazing, amazing players to have in this Villarreal squad. And knowing, you know, how Emery has worked in the past, especially at Valencia, just seeing the profile of players that he managed, it's kind of similar to Villarreal now, right? You have pacey wingers, young wingers, you also have experienced strikers and experienced midfield. It's honestly, I think it's a very, very good relationship. So I think Villarreal could very easily push for top four. Um, granted, they have a couple teams that they will have to run into. Um, but Villarreal, out of the two between Valencia and them, are certainly in the better position. I'm actually really looking forward to watching them this season. Same. And it should be a bit of a fight for that fourth place spot now, right? We works I, even even if Atletico, I think even at their seventy to eighty percent best, you know, if they're playing if they're playing at that level, I think that's still a team that we expect to finish in the top four. So, if we're considering those three, 
the uh, Madrid, Atleti, Real, and Barcelona as you know teams that we feel comfortable penciling in, in that top four. It's going to be a great. It's going to be a great. Uh, I think fight between Valencia potentially, but mostly Villarreal and Sevilla, and brings me to what do we expect this season from the six-time Europa League, six out of six Europa League champions, Sevilla. Sevilla are a damn good team. They are a really, like, not a good Europa League team. They are a good European team. They have somehow recruited, I mean, I should say bought so well in the last two years their sporting director, Munchie, is an absolutely incredible legend at being able to facilitate legend, transfers. Yeah. One of, I mean, yeah, just arguably the best sporting director in Europe. Oh, by far. It's, I don't even think that's a question. Munchie is a genius at being able to, to broker deals and get players in that his team requires. Um, basically, someone that Barcelona could really use. But Sevilla have him instead, and he rejuvenated the squad. Two years ago, right, they bought 11 new players. Like, that that's how brand new that Sevilla team was. Um, and so coming into the season, I don't really know what the expectation was. I don't think anyone really knew. But Lopetegui as well, credit to him after, you know, the heels of a pretty brutal... Spain exit has turned around and won his first trophy at Sevilla. And you could see how much it meant to him when he won the Europa league. So my expectations for Sevilla are very high this season. I I mean, they broke into the top four and finished fourth last season, but I could very well see them finishing third. That is not an exaggeration. This team has serious quality and my player to watch, by the way, I have a couple players to watch through the season. Um, my player to watch on Sevilla is not actually Luke de Jong. Don't shoot me, Rian. It's not Luke de Jong, but it's their new striker that was signed from Granada, actually, Carlos Fernandez. Carlos Fernandez, excuse me. He scored 10 goals for a Granada side that did pretty well by all things, by all standards, last season. And I'm very interested to see who gets that starting striker spot now. I don't know if it's going to be Luke de Jong. And uh, trust me, I'm going to cry if it's not. But I, I genuinely think that this Sevilla side now has depth. They have quality. It's a very strong side going into the league of the season. And you could see that they could beat top sides in Europe. I have no doubt that they can beat top sides in Spain as well. So I'm very scared. Well, at least you not choosing Luke de Jong as your player to watch just tells me you are not an intellectual. So, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> not everything lives on football Twitter, man. It's not, it's not all like that. <laughs> Now, I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to Sevilla in the Champions League, especially this year, because they're going to be hell to play against for just about any top club in Europe. Yeah, it's just the only downside for them is that they will, I will say, likely use uh, lose. Excuse me, uh, Regulon in this transfer window, unfortunately. Um, so their esteemed fullback duo, Regulon and Jesus Navas, will likely be. Completely gone, but they have already signed uh, a new fullback. So, Monchi again, like genius, just absolute genius. So, Sevilla are very exciting. And I did kind of, I guess, spoil part of my top four 
slash relegation predictions for uh, for this season. But I'll hand it over to Rian to start. I'm very curious to see and hear your top four predictions. What what are your thoughts for La Liga this season? Well, before then, at least. I think we should we should you know bury the lead a little bit and let's let's take a break. Fair enough. Let's take a break. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I messed up. Sorry, Rian. <laughs> that was my bad. I, I meant to take a break after the Sevilla discussion, but of course I completely forgot, even though I had looked at my notes and I saw that we were supposed to take a break, but Elias had just got so hot and bothered talking about Sevilla. He could paint <laughs> himself. I was, I was so excited thinking about Sevilla, but yeah, clearly should have taken a break. So anyway, we're back talking, wrapping up really the La Liga season preview talking about our top four predictions and our relegation predictions. Rian, I did toss it over to you before we took a break to give me your top four for La Liga this season. I still want to hear it. Give me your thoughts on who you think is going to finish in the top four this season. All right. Uh, I'm going to go. I think Madrid are able to repeat this season. I, I, I just you think son the of a bitch. <laughs> I just think that I'm taking the continuity of the team and coaches. I'm just betting on that. I, I'm I think that Madrid with the team they currently have and potentially having Eden Hazard score more than one goal and play and start more than something like ten to twelve matches this season, I, I think that's enough for them to win the league again. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Sevilla finishes second. I'm going to say Sevilla finishes second. Hold up. (laughs) Hold up. (laughs) I have very, very low expectations for Ronald Koeman. I think this says more about him than I think about the Barcelona team, but I know that Messi will be probably the best player in the league again. I am just really scarred from what I saw a month ago. <laughs> just, just color me scarred, all right? I think it's fair for me to not believe that that's going to be the second best team in Spain for now. My my opinion can change in four months, but for now, I'm I'm still I'm still uh, really can't get the A two out of my mind. So I, I can't put them in second right now with this mindset. I believe they'll finish third, and then. I think that I think Atletico Madrid just about finishes fourth. I think it is probably a bit of a slog again to finish fourth and they don't look they I don't think they'll look very appealing and I think it'll probably be I think it'll be the last season for Diego Simeone. What the fuck? (laughs) All right. Well, that I can confidently tell you, we didn't share our top four with each other beforehand, so you can, I guess, hear my shock. Um, I'm surprised by that. I, I genuinely am surprised by that. You seem to be more triggered by the 8-2 than I was um, in hindsight, so that's good to know. It, it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, but I'm basically numb to it at this point. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> a, that's a sad part. But anyway, 
Good top four, I guess. I, I can't say good. Interesting top four. Rian, I it pains me to say it, but in, in terms of champions for La Liga, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I do think that it's easier and probably best to bet on consistency rather than luck, I guess, or potential growth. So I am picking Real Madrid to repeat the league for the first time, excuse me, since 2008, 2009, I believe. So it's been a while, but yeah, I'm going to choose Real Madrid to win the league. I will, however, pick Barcelona in second. You absolutely just buffoon. Um, okay, let's not let's not underrate a couple things like, I don't know, Messi's influence, but I'm going to still choose Barcelona to finish second. Granted, this team could also be in the relegation zone by the time we're talking like in two months. So I don't know. So one year older, Messi, as you so astutely mentioned about Karen Benzema and <laughs> Ramos. Damn, that really came back to bite me. All right. That's fair. That's fair. I don't, I don't have a comeback. That's fair. Um, in third, I'm going to go with Sevilla. I think I ruined this a little bit earlier. Sevilla are just a top caliber team, not only this season, but last season they were as well. So it's just a matter, I think, of what happens with their left back position. And also, I think if they can actually squeak out results against the top six sides, that's, I think, the biggest question. So Sevilla are my pick for third. Lastly, this was tough, but I'm going to go with Atletico Madrid. It it was tough for me to maybe throw in Villarreal, but I still think Atletico have enough quality. And like I said, they're like we said, Diego Simeone's style of being consistent has won him points. So it's hard to bet against that. So that's my top four. But there's always an interesting debate in, of course, the relegation zone. And I guess I'll start off with this one this time. We have a lot of interesting new faces in La Liga this season. Um, of course, Cadiz, uh, you know, a very, very prominent historical side in La Liga that is finally back. And I'm very, very happy to see them. And of course, Elche and Huesca, um, two sides that have also, of course, been in La Liga before, um, finally making their return. So who do I choose to be relegated? Of the relegation, or the, excuse me, the newly promoted sides, I'm probably going to go with Cadiz being the one team that's able to stay up. I do think they have enough quality. I think they were probably the best team in the Segunda uh, last season. And for me, they hopefully will stay up and deservedly so. The teams that I'm worried about being relegated are Levante, Alaves, and this is a kind of a tough one, but I'm going to go with oh, Huesca. That's probably, those are probably the teams that I'm, I'm most concerned about. Um, so two sides, in my opinion, that I think could actually stay up, Cadiz and Elche, but it's really tough to choose between the newly promoted sides, but that's where my gut is telling me. At least I'm going to, my, my only ch- I'm going to go stay with uh, Huesca and I'm going to say Cat to go down because I, we never get, we never, <laughs> look, we never get all three. to We almost never get all three to stay up and you can safely bet on two going down. I think you're calling Alaves spot on. Alaves lost seven of their last nine matches to end the season. And in terms mm-hmm. of 
in terms of uh, of expected points from last from last season, they had the third lowest expect in expected points. Although Real Valladolid was second lowest, and they finished in thirteenth. Could also be another team that that might have to fight for relegation next season as well. So there it is, my three: Cadiz, Huesca, and Alaves. Three very good picks. Unfortunate for them, of course, but good picks for the for our purposes. So I think with that, Rion, that really wraps up our or excuse me our La Liga season preview for this upcoming 2020-2021 season. So with that, thank you all for listening. Like I said, I did also say my player to watch is Carlos Fernandez. Just watch out for him on Sevilla. Um, but with that, thank you all for listening. And as always, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks.